Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, we are so grateful that uh, you all have joined us for Mortification of Spin. Uh, we have a, a special program today. Sometimes we will uh, joke around and have fun, which is appropriate. Other times we have topics that are particularly sobering and personal, and this is certainly one of those days. Um, we have a couple of guests with us today who are good friends, folks I've known for a while, Carl has known for a while, even Amy has been welcomed into the circle of this uh, relationship. But our guests are Matt and Karen Yusey. Uh, Matt and Karen live in Oahu. Matt is the pastor of a PCA church there called Trinity Church Central Oahu. Matt and Karen, you've been there for what, around uh, three years or two and a half years, something like that? Yeah, a little over two years. Yeah, a little over two years. Um, Matt and I have served together uh, in the past um, on the staff of a church, and the Lord led them out uh, to the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, where they're serving a wonderful church there. Matt and Karen, thank you so much for uh, being on with us today. We're talking about a, a subject that is sensitive, and it's also very uh, personal for for Matt and Karen. We want to talk a little bit about um, the subject of losing a child or dealing with the death specifically of an unborn child. And uh, I thought I wanted to just begin with letting Matt and Karen just tell us briefly about their own story and uh, their own experiences in this area. Uh, Matt and Karen, however you want to talk to us about that, why don't you take it? Well, thank you for having us. It's it's always good to talk to, to you, Todd. I know that might seem strange, but it's <laughs> uh, about... Uh, a little over three years ago, we were expecting our fourth child. He was a boy. We were going to name him Theodore. Had a very healthy pregnancy. Our OB had told us that it was a perfect pregnancy. And then right at about 34 weeks of pregnancy, Karen noticed that she didn't remember hearing or feeling the baby kick on a particular day. And so we called the hospital. They told us to come right in. And that evening, Karen learned kind of our worst fears that our son had gone to be with the Lord unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. The next morning, we had a C-section to remove Theodore, uh, as all all now five of our pregnancies have resulted in C-section. Uh, we, we held him for eight hours in the hospital. We said goodbye. We buried him. And now we await the resurrection, just like any other, any other death in this life. I, I know it's a difficult subject to talk about, but I, I appreciate you all being willing uh, to do that. One of the things, Matt, that you and I have talked about just recently is the importance of kind of getting our terms right, that when you're talking with someone who has experienced the death of an unborn child, um, there's really a couple of different ways to understand that depending on what has happened. On the one hand, there are miscarriages. On the other hand, there are those situations that are more uh, accurately defined as stillborn uh, births. Could you kind of explain uh, the, the difference there yeah. and, and the importance of, of kind of 
being specific in our terminology? Yeah, I, I'd say it is important. On the one hand, it is not to minimize on the one hand or maximize on the other hand someone's grief. It's not to, it's not to put someone's grief at a lesser, I don't know, level of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. But we found in, in tragedy, it's helpful to speak kind of accurately and technically about about what happens. And that was our experience. We, we would have never have thought about that before. But um, very briefly, when you lose a child before the 20-week mark of pregnancy, it's considered a miscarriage. When you lose a child following 20 weeks of pregnancy, it's considered a stillbirth. You know, there's, I think, few women who understand, and, and, and men too, mothers and fathers, who understand that the type of pain that that comes along with with losing a child like that and um i know as a friend or a congregant in a church um i don't know quite quite what to say to be helpful to someone in that situation and and i'm also afraid that i may say something that's unhelpful what did you find in your own experience um ways people could help love you through this grief um, I'll take this one. I think, um, you know, you experience a lot of, of people. Um, fortunately, we're blessed to be surrounded by a lot of people that loved us and, and cared. Um, honestly, when you don't know what to say, uh, you're, you're, I think you're right in erring on the side of not saying anything. It's much better to, to not speak than to force it. Um, I think uh, it's helpful for me, especially when people just gave me scripture, uh, because that's the only thing that would, and possibly could, could bring me true hope. Um, nothing else, as I would say at the time, like nothing else is predictable. Nothing else else is certain. But um, I know that the scripture is true, and and it doesn't need to even be particularly or specifically dealing with grief or anything. It's just tell me about this God who is real. And I think some of the, you know, unhelpful comments that are really hurtful, though well, well-intentioned, is when people try to give you some silver lining. Well, you know, at least you have three other children. Yeah. Or, well, you know, God's going to use this. Or, you know, and those are true statements, but not helpful in, in, the, in the moment and maybe whatever um, to try to find some silver lining because... There really is no silver lining in this, um, apart from knowing Christ right. and um, trying to find anything on this earth that could bring comfort. Unless you bring my baby back, you know that that right. that doesn't help. Um, and so I think just speaking plainly and just saying I'm sorry, and you know, truly being not being afraid to cry and. Mention the baby, mention if mm. they have a name, if they know their name, the baby's name. Like those are all, you know, help just help legitimize um, the, the grief. So I think it's a silent suffering um, right. for women. Yeah. And I, Carl has something, but I did just want to underline, Karen, what you just said about not being afraid to mention the baby, to talk about the baby. Um, in, in your case, you know, you carried to, to 34 weeks. That, child had a name and to not be afraid to use that name indeed to use that name right. when, when talking to you all about him mm-hmm. um th- those are important i just want to underline those because i want people to hear that 
um, and, and to keep, keep those things in mind. Yeah, my question, Matt and Karen, is, is this. You, you had three other children, of course, at the time. Uh, children find it difficult enough to, well, adults find it difficult often to conceptualize death, the idea that somebody was there and then they're not there anymore. It's compounded when the person has never been seen as a live human being, for, for want of a better way of putting it. But presumably you, your kids, or certainly the older kids, were expecting, looking forward to having a brother. How did you handle the, for want of a better word, the pastoral fallout with your own children relative to the, the loss of the child? It's a very good question. I remember um, when we returned home after learning that Theodore had died. Remember, Theodore's still in inside Karen's belly, and we were making plans on returning and having surgery. One of our, one of our biggest concerns was how do we tell Stephen? Um, Stephen's our oldest. He was five at the time. Our second son, Luther, was three, and Genevieve was one. So Stephen was really the one we were concerned with most. And when we went and spoke to him before we went to the hospital. This uh, prayed a lot about it, didn't know how to say it. I was actually very, very grateful the way I'll say um, the Lord providentially had things unfold. Um, I can still picture it going into his bunk bed, talking to him and saying that uh, that Theodore was not going to be born, that he went to be with, with Jesus. And Stephen asked some questions, he said, well, you know, what, what does that mean? And I said, well, son, we have, uh, every person has two parts. We have our body that we can touch, and then we have our soul, which will live forever. And when we die, our soul, when we know Jesus, goes to be with him. And then we wait for our body to come back and to be reunited with it one day in the end forever. And then Stephen asked me, did Theodore die? And he put it together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That I said, yes, son, he did. And uh, I, I was very blessed. I get emotional now thinking about it. I was very blessed by how he, um, he understood what death was. You know, Carl, I know you've talked about it so many times that um, death used to be, in centuries past, so very unavoidable for people of all age. You know, you were surrounded by death because of uh, common grace, because of medicines. You know, we're, we tend to be sheltered in this day and age. But to see my son understand for the first time at five years old what death was was very profound to me and it, it's still a struggle i should tell you that we we speak of theodore often karen and i both wear bracelets with the day that theodore was was born uh with his name on it uh we we talk about him often we honor him as a member of our of our family and the children speak of him still and yeah. that's i believe that's a that, that's good yes yeah. healthy you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt and Karen, what else? Because one of the questions I get from people o over the years who find out that their child is going to be stillborn or, or is going to be born with, with a fatal anomaly, um, he or she will be born, but they won't live more than a few hours. And the question I'm always asked when that happens is, what do I do now? How, you know, they don't know, do I bury this child? You know, what? They want to treat the child with dignity, um, but they just haven't thought about it, and they don't know what that looks like. What kind of counsel would you give to them, to that couple who, who just now gets that news? You know, I remember, Todd, very, very plainly because uh, 
you were our pastor. We were on staff at a church together at that time. And um, Karen and I were talking the other day, you being in the hospital room before the C-section and praying with us and reading uh, God's word to us. And we were asking you the very same question that you're asking us now. And you ministered to us so well, and we'll remember that forever. Um, and we asked you, should we, should we bury him? You know, the hospital saying, it's our choice. There's no right. There's no wrong. What do you think? And you, you leaned heavily on the freedom that we have in Christ. And I would say that's where I would start. You do a freedom in Christ. However, we, we felt convicted and I'm so thankful that we did this to bury him Mm -hmm. because he, he was our son. And, uh, the Christian testimony of burying the bodies God's people and awaiting them to be reunited at the last day is powerful. And there certainly are practical benefits to that. Uh, There's a sense of finality. The graveside service that you ministered was terribly, painfully beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so I would, I would, I would start with freedom in Christ but I would say you do not need, you should avoid the feeling silly. Like, ah, it, right. it's kind of silly to do a burial. No, it is no, not. not. Yeah. This is, you know, this is a child and, uh, and, he is, and, and he has passed away. Right. He's experienced, he has tasted the first death. Yeah, yeah. So it's good and right to, uh, to bury him. Absolutely, or absolutely. There's so many decisions to make at, that, at the time of, like when you find out and there's such a quick turnaround, um, just to take one decision at a time. Yeah. Think, I can only imagine. Don't think too far ahead. I mean, you're you're in the midst of shock and grief and you have to decide, like, you know, the burial. But even how long do I hold them? Who do I invite to the hmm. hospital? Who takes pictures? Should we take pictures? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, just to take one moment at a time and, like, kind of decide that you're not going to regret it. regardless you know there's trust that god's leading you through um even these little minute decisions um because it's so fast and and it goes so quick that um you can't look back and say ah i should have could have because that's not going to be helpful just to to trust that the decision that's made is what's best and and move forward and not yeah um, not regret it yeah trust in god's providence even through those decisions Mm -hmm. that's really helpful. Another question, Matt, and um, Katrina and I, never we've never had a, a stillborn, but Katrina did miscarry once. Uh, strange situation in that we, we'd not planned the pregnancy. She felt pregnant and then and then lost the baby. Uh, and I was, it, it sounds rather cold to put it this way, but I was very interested in the way that the two of us reacted very differently to that situation in that her concern was for the lost child. My concern was for her. And I did a bit of reading up on it and found that, you know, as usual, one is not as exceptional as one thinks one is. Actually, that's a fairly common pattern with uh, miscarriages, that the husband's concern is for the wife and the wife's concern is for, for the lost child. How did that, if it's not asking too intimate a question, how did that work out for you in this situation? And how did you minister to your wife particularly uh, in this time of loss? Again, if that's too personal a question... Not at don't, all. Don't answer no. it, but it may be helpful to our listeners if you're able to to uh, expatiate on that a bit. I would I would resonate with that summary. I would resonate that though I was grieving, um, my heart was destroyed for Karen. Um, and 
one way I ministered to her, and I don't know if I did it well or not. Uh, we didn't kind of after the fact say, hey, how did I do in that? You know, like, uh, but I, I mourned with her. I wept with her. And, uh, and that's not kind of a general summary of what happened. Like actual yeah. wailing tears many times. Yeah. And I found uh, great uh, comfort in that that we were in it together. I mean, never is life more raw or um, in a sense pure than when you are crying out to your God helpless. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a picture of, of who we are, right? Yeah. I'll jump yeah. in and say, um, as I had mentioned that I needed, I needed God's word. Um, I, had, I don't remember a day when I didn't know the Lord. And mm -hmm. at, at that moment, I, I remember just basically asking Matt, read me, read me the word, please. Like, tell me this is true. Tell me, yeah. tell me this really did come. Tell me this is all true. You know, you never, never needed it so much. I'm, I'm ashamed. To say, like I never realized how much I needed Jesus at that moment. Um, that, than I did at that moment. And, and so he, he was strong, um, yet not stoic. Yeah. And, and like he said, he wept. uh, we wept together, and yet I, I was able to lean on him and and basically say, you know, hold me up um, with God's word, please, because I need to hear, I need to know it's true, because um, that's all that I can hold on to. Right. My question is kind of related to that, really, and it's just when you're when you're grieving such a painful loss and and in such darkness, really, and um sad to the depths of your core. I mean, how do you trust in God's goodness, even through that, you know, as someone who affirms God's sovereignty and, and knows that he allowed this to happen? And how do you trust in God's goodness th through such personal tragedy? Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, well, the, the how is really um, God held us up. Mm -hmm. uh, he he is real. I said so many times, you know, if, if God were not real, we would be undone. Mm -hmm. All of the, the confessions that we make, all of the, the beliefs that we articulate are true, and we find them to be um, truest when we are at our, our darkest, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you, I, I've reread the confessions and creeds of the church in an entirely different light since then, as well as, of course, the Psalms. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, th there's one, um, the joke that I have with some friends is, yeah, but, but when, when I'm crying and I re really need something tender, I go to Heidelberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question and answer 26 in Heidelberg, um, when, you know, when, when treating the apostles creed asks, you know, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. There's a line in there that I've thought about so many times where, or in which it says, he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body and further that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage for he is able to do it being almighty God and willing, being a faithful father. Mm. You know, it summarizes the entire human existence before the return of the Lord as a valley of tears. Yeah. And you realize that there are so many, so many points in your life that are defined by mourning. 
And we are living in a world under the curse. We are living in a world uh, where there is a death that was not a part of the original plan and praise God will not be a part of the, the glorious estate that he will bring us into. And uh, there is comfort. There's amazing comfort in knowing though death is not a, though death is an intruder and though death has lost its sting, ultimate sting in Christ, that uh, God's people for centuries have said and confessed that yes, this world is filled with miseries. It is filled with tears and God is with me and can use them for my eternal and final salvation and good. Uh, so I, I I would say uh, being able to re reread and understand more clearly uh, what has been written uh, by the saints of old uh, was in, it, it was almost revolutionary. I'd yeah. say. I have, I have to follow up there, Matt, with question twenty-seven. You've quoted question twenty-six, but question twenty-seven is beautiful as well. What do you mean by the providence of God, the Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven and earth and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought. Fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say, I, I said this a lot, and I, it's given me hope even for others now, but when uh, I would not say I was a, I'm not a superstar um, believer, and I certainly am really good at feeling sorry for myself, and self-pity is a, is a strength of mine <laughs> in the midst of in the midst of losing Theodore um, I got to experience truly how faithful God is because I know given who I am um, mm. I would have should have turned to just I don't know to go hide in a cave and never come out of um, sorrow mm. and God totally absolutely God in his faithfulness kind of held me up um, in the midst of that and brought me, you know, brought to life his word. And I think I, it was so powerful. I listened to, I just listened to it again recently, but um, Todd preached a sermon actually the Sunday before we lost Theodore. Um, I didn't hear it in church. I wasn't, th- I don't know, for some reason I wasn't there um, in the sermon, but it was on Psalm 23 and just uh, how powerful that is that God really does run us down um, with his goodness and it's for his name's sake so we know it's true it's a, a brief paraphrase but it really is true that God is faithful and I am faithless mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's good yeah, I, in the valley of the shadow of death yeah. right with yeah. us. you know I, I I remember well being being there with y'all I, I, I was so pleased that, that you both decided to bury Theodore and have a graveside service for him because I really, I, I just think that that's the best way. I, I've never encountered a, a family that was not deeply thankful that they went ahead and, and made that decision. I think sometimes people will avoid that be, because they, they think that's going to extend their, their pain and their sorrow. Um, but I, I was so very pleased that you all made that decision, even though it was going to perhaps extend some of that, although I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, you know, you have to, to go through all of the details at a time when you're grieving and that sort of thing. But 
the 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 fact that you treated him with such dignity and went through this important ceremony that we as Christians have, as you mentioned earlier, Matt, of committing our beloved to the ground. There is such a, a powerful symbolism to that that's tied to our confidence in the resurrection. And um, that, that parents who, who have a stillborn child should not feel odd at all about committing that child to the ground for all the reasons that you would do that for any other member of your family. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's probably a general feeling of, um, yeah, I don't want to do anything silly. Right. As strange as that sounds, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I'd say that that theme runs through both the grieving, which mm-hmm. may surprise you, yeah. uh, but also that those who mm-hmm. want to, um, those who want to comfort those who are grieving, yeah. you know, they don't want to say something silly. And so there's mm-hmm. a, Kind of a, a, a knee jerk. Either don't look at people who are suffering, mm-hmm. who who have lost the child. You know, don't look at them. And then, you know, of course, the reaction from the parents are, "I'm here. Right. <laughs> You're not right. looking at me. Doesn't make mm-hmm. my thing go away. Yeah. My devastation go away." Yeah. Uh, and it also causes people to want to, um, as Karen had mentioned earlier, give us silver linings. Say something that will, in effect. Um, leave this grieving person with a happy thought about me, the right. person bring it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you know, the, the advice that we, that we would give to people on top of that is, um, just mourn with those who are mourning. You know, the Lord blesses those who mourn, weep with them, say, I am so sorry. There are strange things that blessed us like Facebook messages mm-hmm. that may seem silly, but I can still remember one friend from church yeah. who just wrote devastated. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I still remember that. And thank you. Yes, this yeah. is, this is devastating. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. one word. that just say we, we weep with you. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, you just said something that, you know, I, I want to make sure that people kind of heard and understood it, that is that please don't go into somebody's grief with the idea that, you're going to be able to say something um, that really wows them and fixes them. Um, first of all, you can't do that. Secondly, I think a lot of times, as, as you indicated in your statement, sometimes that's driven by a, a very kind of self-referential agenda to, about you. you know, I, I'm going to feel, I need to feel really good about the advice I just gave. And I know that, I know that you all encountered that. Um, we, we, we've talked about that. I know that you encountered that. And, and the last thing that the person stepping into somebody's grief needs to do is, is to, to worry about how, you know, how they come off and, and, uh, that kind of thing, uh, uh, better to just be there and not say anything or, or, you know, like you said, just a word devastated, you know, I, I hate this. I hate death. Sometimes yeah. that's all you can do and all you should do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty true in most situations that we as sinners want to make everything about ourselves, right? <laughs> right. We want to turn turn it back to mm-hmm. us. So we need to be victorious in this conversation. We need yeah. to say something that puts a little, takes the edge off a little bit, and then I can feel better about about myself. Right. But yes, um, and and I'm not I'm not uh, condemning people for that. I would say I struggle with the same thing on a day to day basis, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. don't we as pastors? Yep. You know, I need to win this conversation. I'm gonna fix it. Yeah. One other piece of advice, I just want to say it because I'll forget, is um, very practical. And this is back to your question, Amy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if what you're going to say to someone who is mourning the death of a child, unborn, at any stage, if what you're going to say is going to end in a question mark, it's probably not the right thing to say. Huh. That's good uh, advice. Like, how did it happen? Oh, how do you yeah. feel? What are you going to do next? How can we pray for you? Mm. Now, that, um, that may seem very uh, sweet, mm -hmm. but if you think of it from inside a mourner's um, soul, th then the pressure is back on me yeah. to tell That's you really appropriately how you ought to pray for me. Yeah. The truth of the matter is we're about to bury a child. Or we just yeah. bury a child. That's how you can pray. You know, mm -hmm. kind of use your sanctified imagination. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sanctified yeah. common sense. How, how do you think you should pray for me? I just experienced a death. Yeah. yeah. So statements of God's word and, and God's word about his character, who he is, yeah. right? His yeah. redemptive work. Um, sometimes, I don't know if Karen agrees with this, but I think are even more helpful than words of providence. Mm -hmm. Words speaking of, you know, that, that, God, that God will use this for your good, which is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. He's sovereign. He, he has sworn as our king to work all things together for the good of his people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but statements about who God, he is faithful, he is good, you know? He is love. That is uh, profoundly powerful to the soul who is who is mourning so in such devastating fashion, you know? Were there any books that were helpful for, for you as, as time went on in your mourning that you would like to recommend to listeners who'd like to learn more to help those mourning or who are, have gone through this tragedy themselves? Um, I remember reading Nancy Guthrie's Holding On To Hope. She had experienced two um, early deaths of her born children, but um, just hearing her talk through through her experiences um, very solidly and, and who understood. And it's unfortunate, but we say you're part of a club who's, mm -hmm. that you don't want to be a part of, but really until you've experienced it, it's hard to, you can't empathize. And, mm -hmm. and Nancy has has gone through it and walked through it. Um, and so I think it was really helpful to hear and to trust her, her words and her wisdom because she had gone through it. Keller's book on walking, walking with God through pain and suffering is great. He does a good job of saying, if you've experienced a very recent loss, you might want to start with this section and not that section, which is very, uh, very wise. And then, you know, a real little one is, is Ligon Duncan's book, Does Grace Grow Best in Winter? Uh -huh, yeah. And I remember being at... Um, an event at Cairn University with Carl, I believe, where uh, Lig was was speaking on that subject, and that that was around that time, and it was very helpful. Well, it's been great having you on, uh, Matt and Karen. Good to reconnect with you, Matt, and uh, thank you so much for for sharing what are really very personal and intimate details of a of a very private matter, but in a way that I think will be very helpful to to listeners, because all of us will either experience what you've experienced or will know somebody who's experienced what you've experienced so what you've said i think has been very god honoring and very helpful to us we're pleased to say that we have three copies of nancy guthrie's holding on to hope that we're going to offer as a as a giveaway so if anybody's interested in trying to, to make a pitch for a free copy of nancy guthrie please uh, visit our website mortificationofspin.org and uh sign up there to have your name entered as a 
possibility of getting a free copy of the book. Do subscribe to us on iTunes, and if you're going to give us a five-star rating, please do uh, rate us, as I've said before. If you're not, then please don't bother. Uh, We are donor-supported, and we can only do this thanks to donations from listeners like you. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've profited from the podcast, please consider uh, making a donation to continue uh, the work here. So once again, Matt and Karen, thank you so much for joining us. We trust uh, the Lord will bless your work in Trinity Church of Central Oahu, I think, if that's that is the it. correct title. That is it. Uh, and yeah. we yeah. look forward to being with you, the audience, next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... And we want to celebrate the great contribution that Dr. Martin made to... World Christianity. Todd. Well, the first you don't read much. I don't. This, re- this Bible has pictures. This, you like that? I love this work because it has God's pictures. Bible. But most people would have got their view of the Bible either from hearing read or preached or from looking at the pictures. Anyway, it really made me think about the reception that it had the very first time it was printed, and what an, a privilege it is just to be holding the Word of God. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spins.